Welcome, everybody, to Heads and Tails. We're here for the month of July in the year of our Lord, 2018. Just in the nick of time. <laughs> it's still July, right? It's still July, man, for another, yeah. I don't know, four hours or five hours or whatever it is. We Skin of our teeth, right in yeah. there. So we could do it uh, three hours from now. It'd be fine. <laughs> you just want to take a break? Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break, yeah. everybody. We'll yeah. be right back. No, I don't know. That Today, was a good break. Thank you very much. Today on the show, we have Lee Medoff from Bull Run Distilling up in one of my favorite areas of the country, Portland, Oregon. Yes. He's the head distiller and founder of Bull Run, and they yeah. do a lot of stuff up there, uh, but you know, not just whiskey, which seems like there's a lot of craft whiskeys out, um, but uh, we're seeing a lot of diversity in that regard, even just with whiskeys, but a lot of people are branching out and doing some cool some cooler stuff than uh, than whiskey, which, by the way, that whiskey's, exists. Whiskey's pretty cool. I know, right? It's hard mm. to it's hard to imagine. Okay. Whiskey's like the IPA, where there's uh, <laughs> you know there's a lot of variation. Good, and everyone likes it on the theme. Yeah, th- exactly right. It's super popular, <laughs> um, and uh, but a lot of brewers who are making IPAs are branching out in some weird you know stuff. Yeah. So we're going to talk to Lee a little bit about what else he does besides uh, whiskeys and yeah. talk about his whiskey. We have a, what is that a five year. Uh, I'm not sure whiskey the whiskey on us, um, but it's all uh, Oregon-based ingredients, uh, oh. even down to the barrels and the wood that makes up the barrels. So really, as Oregon as you can get, um, <laughs> which I feel is pretty Oregonish. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I wonder we'll if an Oregon Oregonian is like I don't know. I mean, is the air in there? Is the CO two purchased? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, I've seen this on Portlandia before. <laughs> so yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, I, I see you have some poured for you, but not for me, and I'm very disappointed in you. Well, you did start the show before I even got the picture taken for our website, so. Oh. Well, yeah. that's what I do, Warren. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess. So that's how I got some, <laughs> and you didn't. Good luck. Oh, well, I appreciate you. Yeah. I appreciate you very much. Yeah. Uh, it's good to see you, sir. I haven't seen you in a while. I know. And, it's uh, been a while. I've been all over the place. Well, good. Uh, you um, should have stayed there. <laughs> I'm going back, actually. I don't miss you. I'm just okay. saying it's been a long time, and I wish it was longer. Oh, oh, you I know. gotcha. Well, yeah. I'm going away on Thursday again. Oh, good. So, see you later. Speaking of someone uh, I, I, I've never seen, Lee, are you there? I'm here, yes. Perfect. How you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Uh, thanks for sending down the, the whiskey. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, I do kind of go over your story uh, a little bit, not only of Bull Run Distilling, but of you in the spirits world and, and, and kind of uh, your credentials, if you will. This is a you know, very high-class, very you know, high-concept interview show. I don't know if you knew that about us. Oh, well, that's, that's the only reason why I accept it. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you have a coat and tails on because um, I, have, I, have, I do, and, and uh, you know, I need you to be dressed up. <laughs> That's good, the tails good. part of heads and tails. Trust me. Trust me. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, Lisa, how long have you been in the spirits game, man? What's What's your story there? Well, I kind of hate to date myself, but I actually uh, started distilling uh, legally and professionally back in 1997. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. it's been a while. <laughs> I uh, I was actually a brewer before that, and uh, then I got into winemaking. And I was actually, you know, fortunate to be working in France in a winery, but uh, part of my job was also to do some distillation for the, uh, the family I worked for, making uh, Marc or, uh, you know, French grappa, essentially, a little brandy 
then when I came back to the States, I was fortunate enough to uh, kind of walk into a, a distillery that didn't have a distiller. And I knew just enough to uh, raise my hand and get myself into some trouble. So uh, <laughs> that's where it all started. Did you go over to uh, France just to work at the winery? Were you always in the alcohol business? Uh, yes, yes. I wanted. I was actually thinking about becoming a winemaker, transitioning from brewing. And I had a, actually a friend who was living in Europe, and he'd call me up every year in the fall and just tell me how beautiful and wonderful and how great it was. And I finally said, uh, "Hell with it! I'm going to go over there and uh, see for myself." And it, it was pretty nice. Everything he said was pretty much true. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, when, but I found out when, when I came back to the states, though. I mean, the night as much as I love wine. Uh, you only get one chance every year to make it. And with distillation, I can distill every single day. So yeah. it, uh, when it comes to more of a business focus, uh, I, I saw better opportunities there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, God, you know, how many people get a chance to go just learn in, in France? I'm just going to go over and learn in France. It's fine. I'll be back. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> if you're going to figure out if you want to be a winemaker, that seems like a France pretty, pretty all right place to do yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. That's a good. Uh, that's yeah, a good well, experience. I, was, I, I would think I was mostly free labor uh, for, for for them. So <laughs> it, it sounds very uh, romantic, but okay. I, I I don't think I drank water for uh, about you know three months. Uh, just it was nothing but wine and work. Okay, <laughs> that's the French I, I way. I look back on it more fondly though now. So. Well, for sure, it's like it's like raising a kid, man. We're like, where you're into it, it sucks. But uh, I think once you know, once uh, once the kid starts sleeping. Uh, then it's like, oh, you forget about all the bad stuff, and it's just like, oh, this is really, this is a good time. I want to do this again, yeah. and then you get divorced. Once the Alzheimer sits in, your life looks really great. <laughs> so, how long were you over there? So, forgive me if you've already said that. Uh, no, I, I was over there uh, just for one harvest, but I've okay. been there for about half a year. I took a kind of sabbatical, and I was gone for about half a year. But I was working uh, probably at least. Uh, four of those six months uh, in the, you know, we worked harvest then through uh, production and then uh, into, into bottling almost. So yeah, about, about you know, four, almost five months of constant work. Okay. And then on the, uh, they were having you do the distilling. Did you have a, a background in that or were they teaching you that as well? Or did they just say, Hey, no, here's a no, bunch of stuff. I, I was just thrown into it. Uh, they were making, uh, they had a, a, an old pot still, uh, a yeah. copper Olympic pot still. And uh, they explained to me <laughs> what I was supposed to do. Uh, it wasn't uh, very, uh, very technical. Uh, <laughs> they weren't too concerned with all the things that uh, I've learned since about, you know, the making, making, you know, really uh, more, more secure cuts and things like that of the product. Uh, mm-hmm. They just wanted uh, a lot of alcohol. <laughs> uh, to collect as much as they could, so uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the, uh, the the finest brandies, the finest mark I was making, but uh, it definitely gave me an idea. You know, uh, work on my palate, the biggest thing. Yeah, uh, for I sure. A, I have a palate for beer and wine, and at that time, everything I tasted coming off the still was just hot. Absolutely, <laughs> I, I couldn't make any differentiation out of it. Uh, yeah. So it was quite quite the learning curve. And then you fried your your palate, you fried your taste buds, and uh, you know now all beer tastes the same, but you can do spirits dialed in perfectly. Um, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, wine and beer just it's like drinking water anymore. So, of course. <laughs> right? Um, was it uh, was it uh, Mark uh, for for uh, for sale, or was it just for internal use only? Like you were basically just making the fuel for the harvest. 
<laughs> in other yeah, words. it was it was internal use only. Ah, okay. uh, so I I didn't I never saw any labels for it. So it uh, it uh, it was basically uh, for lunch, uh, the wine and Mark would be put on the tables for all the crew, and I'm sure that uh, some of the stuff from the, the previous. Uh, you know, sucker who got uh, you know uh, roped into distilling the year before is probably, is probably drinking his product. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Um, okay, no wonder they just wanted to focus on alcohol content. They don't care, uh, you know, what you would leave yeah, behind. Yeah, I didn't even know what the proof was. I mean, I knew it was high, uh, but uh, there was nothing even to test the proof on it. So I was just <laughs> told to, to collect it and put it into a big tank. And okay. then, uh, they just poured off of it. Man, that sounds. Hey, that sounds like a good because you know what? If if you're going to learn, uh, and I would be nervous about learning how to produce something that people would actually consume. Um, but it sounds right. like uh, you know, like you said, the, you know, the, the 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 folks over there weren't really too concerned about scientific. It sounds like it was more like a feeling based thing, uh, which to me is what French winemaking kind of is, and kind of the European craftsmanship i guess of just you know what does your body tell you what's your gut feeling on this um if the distiller's not blind then it's okay for me to yeah, drink i'd be nervous as hell man. exactly sure. exactly my, my sight always came back every day so it was, it was <laughs> that's good news so but no, they told me basically just uh, if it tastes good that's why i said well what, when do hmm. i make these separations what do i what do i collect i said just taste this this collect the stuff that tastes good and it, hmm. which was a, quite the challenge because uh, I couldn't really everything tasted the same. Right. But, uh, but like I said, nobody nobody really did go blind, so I okay. must have done it right. Yeah, they got sick, but uh, <laughs> not blind. <in> the, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. So okay, well, so that was more for consumption. Right. Mm. Overconsumption. <laughs> right. Right. So it's time to leave France. You come back home. Um, are, are are you bitten by the the distilling bug, or did you still have some stuff to work out internally? Uh, no, I was uh, pretty fortunate. I used to, I worked uh, for a brewery, and the brewery is the one that put the, uh, the distillery in. And so when I came back, I thought, well, just to, you know, get back and get a job, I thought I'd go back into, you know, brewing again. Yeah. But they just put this uh, distillery in, and I didn't have anybody to run it. And so no. I, uh, you know, basically volunteered and made a career shift. And I was very fortunate because I was given basically carte blanche to do whatever, uh, experiment as much as I could. Mm -hmm. And I got an opportunity to uh, meet a lot of uh, great uh, distillers, people that I consider uh, real mentors for me. And, uh, and it, was, it was a great experience, absolutely great experience. Was that up in Portland? Yes, it was. It was. It was actually working for a McMinimins Edgefield distillery. Ah, I don't oh, okay. With the McMinimins uh, yeah. uh, breweries and distilleries and hotels and wineries and everything else they do, but it was, uh, it was a great, uh, great experience. Edgefield, Edgefield is a beautiful place, and uh, I, I keep meaning to go up there. I went up there several years ago, and it's it's absolutely stellar. And what a great place to kind of cut your teeth on, I guess, so to speak. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it was uh, it was a great place to work, and I just had a chance to we made I made brandies, uh, my first uh, you know whiskeys I was making there. Uh, there's, there's anything and everything the owners wanted to experiment with, and so it was I couldn't have been a, 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 a no, no better incubator for uh, for what I needed to find out about distillation than that. Well, and as a side note, kind of what a lucky experience to be able to be thrown into the mix in France learn the basics of whatever it is they do over in France and then to come over here and be like oh yeah whatever you want to do that's fine just figure it out like that's uh, I feel like that doesn't happen to to, to many people uh, especially being in charge of a brand um, like McMinimins where it's you know pretty uh, pretty well known up there in the in the Pacific Northwest 
Right, right. I mean, no, no. I, I feel very fortunate uh, that uh, my trajectory has got me, you know, you know what I was able to do. And I think also too, I was being in the right place at the right time. And craft mm-hmm. distillation at that point was almost insignificant. I mean, it was there was only a few out there across the country. And so I think uh, it would be a learning experience no matter who got got into that. Uh, there weren't any uh, books. There was very few people to talk to. Uh, you know, the the first book I got was in French, technical French, and uh, it was useless for me. The next book I got was in German, technical German. I don't know German at all, so I uh, made sure I looked at all the pictures. But uh, but no, it was definitely uh, you know a great learning experience. But it was really hands on, very hands on. Yeah, I imagine. So, how long were you at Edge? field there in uh, at Minmans. Well, I was there boy from uh two from 1997 to 2005. Wow. And so uh just shy of 10 years, but then uh that's when I started my first distillery uh with uh with uh, my business partner. Uh, we started a distillery called House Spirits and uh <laughs> and our main focus there actually was uh, aviation gin was the big product that we were making out of that. That was a real kind of a craft success story. It's even, it's even more successful now. It's kind of really, really blown up. Yeah, I've, but I've, that was a chance for me to kind of run my own uh, my own business. I heard about that. I was reading. I was reading a little bit. Uh, you know, a little bit of homework before the show, uh, and it, 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 it strikes me as, as that sounds familiar. The aviation gin, and I don't know if I just totally made it up because I wanted to pretend like I know a little bit about <laughs> yeah. what I'm talking about. Or I've heard of planes. I've heard and of jets. Yeah, and letters that yeah. form words. It's yeah. fine. Pilots love it. Yeah. <laughs> really right before right before uh, taking off in a plane full of people. Yeah, I feel like pilots kind of love anything. Mm-hmm. Really, that's high alcohol, but. Um, <laughs> Well, that's cool. I mean, how does that feel to to see that maybe on the shelf when you're walking by at the store and uh, and and know that that's your that's your baby? Oh well, that's uh, it's 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 really satisfying. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, to be able to make something and actually see it come to life and actually have it out there and people enjoy it. I mean, that's uh, half the reason why I do what I do is to uh, is to create things like that. Now, I'm I'm not the only one who drinks it, and it's great when people like what I make. So that's, that's very very enjoyable. But the thing that we did when we were at the House Spirits, one of the things that uh, we did on the side a little bit was make whiskey. I'd been mm-hmm. making it at, uh, at Edgefield as well, and I made uh, malted barley whiskey there, and then I made malted barley whiskey at, uh, at House. But uh, we didn't have an opportunity to make a lot of it. Uh, just aviation was just such a monster for us, and we just didn't have an opportunity to produce a lot of it. But what little we did produce, and when we released it, it was very successful. Uh, we, we sold out of it. And uh, which was great, but it upset a lot of our distributors and consumers. But that's what made me uh, decide to open up Bull Run and focus just completely on whiskey products. And uh, I just this really much more I'm much more passionate about. I think there's more opportunity to really really differentiate yourself uh, with uh, with whiskey products. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I, I guess for sure. I mean, there's you know there's a lot of people doing a, a bunch of stuff with gin, but but I, I think you're right with uh, the differentiation in, in whiskey because you have barrel differences, you have char differences within those barrel mm-hmm. differences, um, you know, location, storage, time, all that kind of stuff. I can imagine it's, oh, yeah. it's, a, it's a broader brush. Yeah. yeah. Well, and grain bills too, because like typically... Can, and I think what's, you know, something that with what, uh, what I'm really focusing on is malt whiskey and basically an American single malt. And a lot of the craft producers are really focusing on that as well because it's an opportunity to create a whole new style of american whiskey 
by using malted barley. Mm. You know, traditionally, corn and rye are the two main grains for American whiskeys. Uh, and most people think of malted barley whiskey or barley whiskey as Scotch or Irish or Japanese. But I think there's, a, there's an amazing opportunity for the craft uh, distillers to produce an entirely new style of American whiskey. And that's what's really motivating us. That's the reason why I started uh, Bull Run in the first place, was to really uh, kind of drive out there and see, see if we can't create a whole, whole new whiskey uh, for, the, for the American public. There you go. What were we saying, Warren? Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to talk about how uh, when, with whiskey, you can actually vary the, the grains and make more of a significant impact compared to gin and, and vodkas that are distilled so high that the residual flavors are so small that you have to really be searching for them in the spirits. And so it's another huge variation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most, most gins start off with a, just a basically neutral base. Uh, you know, you have a lot of Dutch gins tend to be a little more, you know, uh, more whiskey-like, more, more malt-flavored, grain-flavored. But, yeah, definitely uh, it's, uh, with whiskey, the, it's almost limitless, the variations when you, when you use grain. It's such a, you're, you're trying to really trying to capture the flavor instead of trying to get rid of it. Yeah. Well, you said that you wanted to try to create your own you know, essentially kind of whiskey presence in the, in the industry. How are you, how are you doing that? Are you using unique ingredients or, or cool barrel program or what, what do you have that, uh, that you're trying to, to really push on? Well, I think, uh, it's, it's starting with the grain, just using malted barley mm. and, uh, you know, for here, me up here in Oregon and coming from the brewing world where, you know, malted barley is the, the grain, uh, for most all the, all the, you know, ales and, uh, beers are being produced here. Uh, it just made sense to use that, and, and it has uh, also kind of a nice Oregon connection. Uh, I get my malted barley from Southern Oregon, the Klamath Basin, okay. and uh, it's interesting to try and get a kind of regionality. And that's another thing that I think is going to be developing over the next you know few decades. Here is a sense of terroir uh, with the. Yeah. With the whiskeys do not have, uh, but by using, you know, uh, regional grains and using micro malters that are produced, there's more molars coming online. And I think this is down the road quite a ways, but I think there's going to be a, a, a point when grains for distillation as well as for brewing will be less of a commodity mm-hmm. and will give more of a sense of a terroir to your, your region, your locality. And that's something that I'm starting to be involved in as well, but it's, it's also very, very much in the infancy. But the but the fact that just using uh, you know malt instead of corn and rye uh, yeah. is the is the first step. Um, but I do want to stay within the American tradition, and so I age our product in new American oak barrels. Uh, yeah. I use new cooperage, and uh, pretty much nobody else uh, other than the Americans uh, use new cooperage as much uh, as they, as we do uh, for aging whiskey. And I wanted to stay in that that American tradition. That's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's part of the American palate. That kind of, you know, sweetness and uh, and you know, carameliness and vanillas. Those flavors are delicious anyway. But I think that's part of the American palate, and I wanted to stay within that. Yeah, I, I but, agree. Uh, we also got to. Oh yeah, yeah. I just, you know, I want to, I want to kind of, you know, uh, it's, I'm not reinventing the wheel by any means. <laughs> uh, but I want to take, you know, a bit of tradition, a little bit of, I, you know, kind of classic. I want to be, kind of bring all these things together to create a whiskey that. Which, uh, which is what I like is that yeah. when people try it, they can't pigeonhole it. You know, if, if, if they like it or not, that's one thing. I hope, of course, I hope they do like it. But nobody's ever, since we have the whiskey out now for about the past three years, nobody's ever said that it's like anything else. Hmm. And that's good for me to hear. I feel like I'm on the right track with that. That's what you're going for. 
That's what you're going for. Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I feel that, well, obviously that you're correct. I mean, you already know that you're right. But, uh, you know, if you said, hey, here's a whiskey, and it didn't have those classic American whiskey, like you said, the vanillas and the toast or whatever, uh, it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't sit right. Uh, and, and I don't know how that would be necessarily received. So you, you, you're right. You do have to stay within those kind of boundaries. But there's a lot of other stuff that you can do to set yourself apart and get the different flavors and kind of experiment and, and, and push the boundaries a little bit. And I think that's, I think that's cool. And you were talking a little bit about, about uh, local grains and local products. And, and, I, and I feel like this, I, uh, I don't know if I'd, I'd be interested to, to have a conversation with uh, several different people about who's pushing who to go regional with their grain, right? Is the brewing industry pushing the distilling industry? Or I feel like it's vice versa. I feel like you guys in the distilling side are kind of trying to source more local ingredients, and I think that's rubbing off on the craft brewers. And I don't know. I mean, it doesn't yeah, really matter. Yeah, I have to but... say that. I mean, you know, I saw a lot of these friends are brewers, and uh, I would have to say that I think the, the interest in kind of getting regional, local, even heirloom grains mm. for distillation is really being driven much more by the distilling side than by the brewing side. Um, you know, we're fortunate, though, uh, being up in the Northwest, that with the you know, massive brewing industry that we have up here, uh, we have resources for uh, you know, getting all sorts of grains. And so I think it's a little bit easier for us to, or to get uh, people to, uh, you know, farm, individual farmers, let alone, uh, you know, malting houses to invest or find, you know, uh, unique grains for us or local grains for us and mm-hmm. use those. Yeah. Yeah, I think but I think it's, it's but, but both but both industries I think are are pushing that, and I really think you're going to see a change. You know, like I said, getting away from this, this massive commodity grain commodity market, and uh, and getting into something that is going to be much more identifiable. And and I and at some point I hope that'll give that sense of terroir right now. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, on my whiskey I say you know Oregon single malt because that's where the grain comes from. You know, it would be great at some point to be able to say that it actually came from a certain field or a certain region or something, too. <laughs> uh, but I think that's, uh, that's down the road a ways. Does it, does it resonate with the uh, consumer? Or is that a story that they want to be told, or, or do you just like it and it doesn't really matter if people key in on that or not as long as they just enjoy the spirit? No, I think they, I think they do. I mean, it's the reason, you know, I, I do it for, you know, because I think it's, uh, it's valuable to have that sense of kind of provenance and regionality. You know, you know we're not a big national distillery, you know, mm-hmm. we distribute, of course, but, you know, we're never going to be, you know, massive, massive, you know, you know, in national distillery. And so the idea of having something much more regional, you know, and much more identifiable for a, a single place is important to me. And I'm finding, too, with the, the consumers that we have, and uh, what's really nice is with our distillery here, we have a tasting room. And so we get all these people coming in, and it's great to hear what their comments are. And overall, I feel that they really are looking for just what I was just saying. They're looking for something that's unique, different, and has some sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, provenance to it. They can like, mm-hmm. you know, trace it back. I mean, it's, not, it's not that, you know, Portlandia joke that, you know, what's, what's the name of the chicken, you know, <laughs> of, uh, for your meal. But, uh, but uh, it's, it's like that. People want to know, like, what's, what's the story behind this? It's, uh, and, you know, and if it tastes good, that's even better. Yeah. But, no, I think, uh, I think the story is very, very big. And I think for the craft distiller, I mean, that's one of the few things that, uh, or the, the, not the few things, but one of the main things he has you know, going for him is the fact that he can tell a story. You know, there's every story. There's a story to every bottle that uh, the craft uh, distillers make, and I think that's uh, that's worth worth gold. Yeah, 
I, I agree. Human beings love to be told stories just, you know, in general, which I guess is why the media is so huge. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little self-reflection. Yeah, you know, it's fine. Um, but uh, OK, well, enough talking about it. Let's try some of this uh, Oregon single malt whiskey age five years. Batch number three, which I think anything, uh, yeah. you know, anything under under batch 100, I'm stoked on. I don't know why. <laughs> so at 100, you have to stop. Uh, yeah, yeah well, collect- right. It would be a collector's item. Yes. <laughs> oh, small batch only. That's all I'm about. So uh, do you... Uh, yeah, so this, is, so this is 100% malted barley, and it's, uh, I age it, or not age it, I ferment it with ale yeast. And oh, so wow. I, it has, I want to kind of capture that kind of, you know, beery essence that, you know, that's mm-hmm. my personal experience of making beer. But if this is fermented really hot and fast, I, it's basically only like a two or three day fermentation, uh, goes to complete dryness. Uh, but during that fermentation period, it creates these big fruity esters, mm-hmm. this pear, apple, banana esters. And so when you distill that, it comes off the still with almost like a brandy-like yes. fruitiness mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. And uh, and so when you first smell this, there should be a real over uh, overwhelming, but it's a real, real dominant fruity character in the nose. Yeah, you yeah. you said it pear um, and and almost like oxidized pear brandy, and I don't mean yeah, oxidized yeah. in a bad way, but just um, like cooked pear. Yeah, cooked pear, clarified. I guess you know not uh, like the, the the core of the scent of a pear. You know, pear is like the skin mm-hmm. and the the ju- not that just like the, the kind of the meat. Um, and then it, it's pairing really well, no pun intended, with mm-hmm. the kind of vanilla from the oak and all that kind of stuff. It's it is a very unique whiskey. I will I will definitely say that I, I tried a little bit already because uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a fast reader and um, <laughs> or drinker. Oh, well, that's true. And uh, it it is a very unique flavor. It, 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 I mean, how much of that is the yeast character, and how much of that is is everything else? Well, I, I think it's not so much a yeast character, and I can probably start a big controversy uh, with this, but <laughs> I, I personally don't believe that, you know, in spirits anyway, you know, in, in beer and wine, yeast is part of the aroma, part of the flavor of that finished product. Uh, in distillation, the act of distillation is pretty violent. You know, we're boiling this stuff up, and then we're dumping it into barrels. And I'm always very hard-pressed to find any yeast character hmm. in a spirit. And I know that's, that can set off a lot of controversy and we'll get into it. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I basically ferment for an effect. And like I said, I okay. want this. I want a, a completely dry product, and I want to build up these big esters. Because hmm. when I dump it in, when it comes off the still, it's got this beautiful fruitiness to it. And then, of course, the malted barley has this great cereal, grainy character. And so it's this beautiful, clear spirit. But when I dump it into the barrels, it goes away. That fruitiness disappears. Hmm. And after about the third year, it starts coming back again. And that's really <laughs> our signal that the whiskey is getting ready to bottle. Is where I like it. Hmm. Okay. And in my experience of you know, producing uh, you know, malted barley whiskey for all these years, is that between like the fourth and sixth year is kind of the sweet spot for that. Uh, we're, of course, aging things beyond that, of course, but, uh, you know, I feel it's a completely, uh, you know, satisfactory whiskey that will stand up against anything else, you know, in that, in that period. But that's what we really look for is that fruitiness that you're smelling and tasting right now. That's what we're waiting for to come back. And I guess that's what I mean when I say yeast character, that, that fruitiness, those big esters that you're trying to drive in, um, (laughs) but does that come from the malt and not the yeast? Yeah, Right. What Warren just said. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, it definitely comes from, the, I think with this, you really don't get the, the, the malt, I think, comes through on the end. You get this grainy, cereal, almost roasted character, almost mm-hmm. like a beery kind of character on the, on the finish. And that's really the malt is that I'm picking up at that point. And so I think, you know, up front you get this fruitiness, which is definitely from the fermentation caused by the yeast, obviously. Um, but that sweetness in the middle of the palate, that's definitely the barrel uh, in there. Uh, but I find malted barley also stands up really well to new oak. I mean, this is basically the same uh, kind of um, uh, oak, you know, two plus, three plus char that we use with the, with the bourbon that we have. And uh, you can definitely taste the, 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 the bourbon, the barrel really dominates the flavor. With this, I think it's much more balanced. It's a, you get a little sweetness, you get a little carameliness, a little mm-hmm. bit of vanilla, but it's nothing over, over, overpowering. I think that's the beauty of malted barley is that it's a very aggressive flavorful grain yeah to to be uh, labeled a single malt you have to have a single kind of uh grain but not necessarily from a brewing perspective a single type of malt are you using a different or a, a blend of types of malt in this no no I'm, I'm using what's called oregon select great western malting uh, which is a right across the river from us uh, has been producing this for quite a few years and it all comes from the Klamath Basin. And so it's not a different type of malt. It's just uh, what I, what, what right now is what I can get. That's Oregon grown, Oregon made. Okay. But it's all kiln to the same temperature and, and finished the same. Oh yes. Yeah. It's, it's basically pale malt. Yes. Okay. Yes. Interesting. Cause there's a lot of complexity going on in there yeah. with the caramel flavors and everything, which I guess is coming from the wood at that point. Yeah, you should. Yeah, you should definitely get the caramely character from the wood, and that's why I like using new oak. And like I mentioned, you know, it's part of that American palate profile that I think mm-hmm. is kind of essential. Because if I put this in used barrels, used oak, I'm basically mimicking, you know, a Scottish whiskey or or mm-hmm. a Japanese whiskey or something. And I just didn't want to get too far down that that road, take that curve. Mm-hmm. And and this is even a, a unique type of oak, right? Because this is an organ uh, species, correct? Uh, no, no. This oh. this right now that I have out is is American oak. This is basically what they make for the bourbon industry. Uh, mm-hmm. I do have an all Oregon project going, which is being uh, aged with the same uh, malt whiskey, same fermentation, same everything is being aged in Oregon oak. And uh, that's going to be a few years down the road before I want to release that. Uh, uh, Oregon oak is uh, is a different species of, of oak. Um, Quercus Guiana, specific. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just like saying that actually. Um, but it's uh, it's made more like a like a wine barrel. Uh, even though I get the barrels I get, I have the Cooper. I do a pretty heavy toast on it. Uh, you're not going to get as much of that carameliness coming through. But it has an interesting baking spice thing going on, mm. and I think that's what differentiates uh, Oregon oak from a lot of other oaks. Is it's got this interesting. Well, the only way I can describe it is like a baking spice, you know, subtlety to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's going to be a very interesting whiskey. But I've got to, got to at least I'm thinking about at least another two years or so before I'll feel confident to bring that out. But I'm pretty excited. That'll be my all Oregon uh, malt whiskey. See, and, and and I don't know if you knew this, Lee, but I'm I'm a, a super taster. I'm a self-described super taster. So I could have told Warren immediately that this wasn't uh, Oregon oak. Because I've chewed a lot of oak trees before, so mm. I knew that it wasn't, uh... <laughs> especially organ oak trees. Yeah, you, knew? Okay. Um, you know, I, I, going back a bit, I think it's fascinating that this whiskey, the spirit, um, has the fruitiness coming off the still, and then it goes away and disappears, and then comes back again. Uh, so, two questions in here: one, is it is it the same intensity when it comes back? 
uh, or has it faded or changed at all? And two, why does it why does it do that? Well, I first of all, I think it uh, it it comes back more integrated. I would say because you know coming off the still, hmm. there's no influence of the wood at all, and so it's pretty. It's almost like tasting the wash, the fermented wash. It has, it's smelling that. It has that kind of really kind of much more aggressive, like kind of cleaner uh, fruitiness to it. Mm-hmm. But of course, putting into the barrel and having contact with that, um, it's, it mellows it out. It makes it more, more subtle, more integrated. Um, I wish I knew exactly the chemical reactions that were going on there with that. But it's interesting if you were to come here to the distillery and uh, we did a barrel tasting, you know, our younger barrels that are, you know, one, two, three years old even, uh, you, you pop them open, mm-hmm. and one day they're just tasting all like the barrel. You know, you just, that's all you get is this, you know, you know, sweetness and caramel, vanilla. And then, you know, a month later you go back, and wow, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's fruity. I can taste the malt. I can taste the grain on it. Huh. And so it's a real kind of, you know, battle back and forth for the first couple of years. But, uh, and I, I, I wish I know, I wish I knew exactly what chemically happens, whereas suddenly that the spirit takes over from the barrel and, and that fruitiness, not just is, is an anomaly, it stays there in the, you know, going, going forward. Hmm. Do you, uh, that's the best I can do for you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that works, man. I, you know, if you started rattling off, uh, you know, chemical, you know, formulas and, you know, long chain, blah, blah, I, 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 I would have no idea what you're talking about anyway. So it would have been wasted on me. You could have made it up you could, as long as yeah. it sounded complicated. Yeah. The, hy- the hydroglobulin uh, really integrates with the spirifiroid. Like, mm. oh, oh, that sounds great. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be a way over my head. I, I was a philosophy major in university anyway, so oh, God. Uh, science is not my standpoint. So, <laughs> so you could have BS'd us is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your superpowers were almost used. Sorry, Warren, go ahead. I keep interrupting you. Oh, no, that's fine. Uh, I was wondering uh, if you've noticed changes in, in tasting the barrels throughout the year, given the different climates like winter to summer up in Oregon? I, a, a little bit. I mean, the nice thing about being in Oregon, I think that's, uh, you know, your, your, your whiskey spends most of its life in a barrel in some environment. And your environment really is, I think, one of the biggest uh, influences on the finished product. And where I am in Western Oregon, we really do have four distinct seasons. You know, where I'm sitting here, it's, it's 95 degrees out right now, Ooh. but it's not Kentucky, it's not Scotland. I mean, we have a really interesting climate. And so we have this very gentle heating and cooling of the atmosphere throughout the year. And so what's happening inside the barrel is, you know, we're not, the, the spirit's not being pushed and pulled like it is in Kentucky or Tennessee. And it's also not kind of sitting there somewhat stagnant, <laughs> you might find <laughs> in, the, in Scotland. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I personally think this region might be a premier, you know, whiskey making, whiskey aging, you know, uh, region. You know, and only time will tell. Hmm. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, the because of that gentleness. You know, uh, tasting the barrels throughout the year, uh, different seasons. I mean, it's it's pretty consistent, honestly. I don't find hmm. a lot of you know. It, of course, it's much warmer and kind of rougher in the summertime. But uh, it's uh, there. There isn't a lot of variation. I, I wouldn't say like there's a winter version or a summer version of it. No. Okay. I'm going through your uh, your portfolio here on your website, which is bullrundistillery.com, by the way, if anyone uh, wants to mm-hmm. check it out. There's a lot of good, cool photos of the distillery and all the barrels, which is always... I mean, what is it about... about just a diversion for a second. What is it about human beings who... We love photos of a lot of barrels. 
Like every, you know what I mean? It, it, it because yeah. it's it's visually it, it, awesome. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the the hope we're just trying to project a lot of. Oh man, all the cool stuff that's in those barrels. But every time I see a, a photo of a ton of barrels in a room, yeah. I get emotionally. Um, Look at all know, those tasty erect. fun times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds cool. Um, but you have a lot of uh, kind of a diverse portfolio, which is amazing. Uh, but I see here you have something called Starka. And I've never heard about ah, that, yeah. and, if you, and, and, and I'm interested in it because it says, use our Starka to replace whiskey in classic cocktails like Old Fashioned, which mm-hmm. Warren and I are deep, deep into the Old Fashioned cult. So mm-hmm. uh, what is Starka, and how can we drink a lot of it? Well, uh, Starka is a pretty interesting little product. It's actually a vodka, hmm. and uh, uh my family's Russian, actually Russian heritage, and uh, uh, we only have one clear spirit that we have here, which is our Medoya vodka. Medoya is my family's original name. Uh-huh. And I took that, we were making that at House Spirits, and I took that uh, with me and brought it with me when I started Bull Run. And as you know, most craft distilleries out there, they usually start with a clear product because they're, they're quick to market. You can put it out there right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, when we decided to maybe do a, uh, a line extension of the Medoyev, um, I thought, well, let's do a Starka. And Starka is, that's the name for barrel-aged vodka. If you go to Poland, Lithuania, Russia, there's a long tradition of aging uh, you know, vodka barrels. And there's great stories about you know, how it originated and what they do with it and things. Uh, but I decided, well, that fits into what we do here at Bull Run, which mm-hmm. is a lot of you know, barrel finishing as well. And I thought, well, let's do our Starka. But I ran into a little legality of the fact that you could not age vodka in barrels in wood in the United States and call it vodka. Hmm. And so uh, it took uh, over a year to convince the feds that, uh, you know, this is a legitimate, you know, it's hundreds of years tradition of this going on. You know, I wasn't just making up something like cupcake vodka or something like that. <laughs> uh, but uh, Which is legal. But, uh, yeah. but they finally relented and, uh, and allowed us to do it. And, um, but uh, uh, like I said, it's, you know, barrels will, you know, enhance and, uh, and give different layers to any spirit that comes into contact with it. And so uh, our Starka is Asian French oak. Uh, and French oak is much more, let's say, elegant and much uh, uh, lighter. You're not going to get those big, heavy, toasted, you know, uh, caramely flavors like you do off an American oak, like a whiskey barrel. And so I didn't want to put the vodka in a, in a whiskey barrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. all we would taste would be the, the barrel at that point. But uh, the French oak, um, and it had Pinot Noir in it. Uh, that's what gave it this nice garnet color with the, the wine that was in there. And, of course, it's going to give it a level of tannin being pulled out. So it's a little bit, it's, it has a nice dryness, almost like a tea-like dryness to it. But the French oak is a really lovely kind of a, more of a, uh, uh, I'd say, toasty, caramely, chocolatey flavors from the barrel. Uh, very, very light <laughs> vanillins to it. But uh, it's, it's quite a successful product for us. Uh, and... It's what we're finding is that it's for, you know, for vodka lovers that uh, don't like whiskey, it's a bridge, and it's also a bridge for whiskey lovers that don't like vodka. <laughs> it's kind of turning out to be a middle ground for that. But uh, I'm not a bartender by any means, but I drink a lot of cocktails and don't know a lot of bartenders. Uh, but uh, one thing I've been, you know, I find fascinating is seeing what they do with it. And mm-hmm. I, one of the things that we really noticed was that if they wanted to make a cocktail, especially a whiskey you know, a traditional whiskey drink, and want to avoid that heavy barrel intensity, mm. this was a really good substitute for it. 
And so that's one of the things that like, we promote, like an old-fashioned, which is one of my favorite ways to drink any spirit, yes. uh, is uh, it's a very simple, straightforward uh, drink. But this way, you can really taste the, the spirit. Wow. Um, and then, of course, with the world of bitters out there and you know, sweetening it up to whatever you like, I mean, it's, uh, it's a great way to be introduced to it. But no, Starka is, uh, I think you'll probably see more and more of this coming out, especially from the craft producers. In mm-hmm. fact, uh, when we released this, we, I did this in uh, uh, conjunction with two other local distilleries. They made their own versions of this using different types of barrels. Oh, wow. And so it was a great sort of experiment to see because, you know, the barrels had so much different influence. And all three of them, we, you know, we started at the same time, but all three were completely different because of the type of barrels we used. Yeah. So it was, it was a really fun, fun project. Does the the vodka go into the barrel at uh, still proof, or do you proof it down to more of a comparable? Oh, I proof it down. Okay. I do it at 120 proof. Uh, at at 190 or something like that. I mean, it's alcohol is a solvent, and you know you put it into a barrel, it's right. going to pull out a lot of you know, good things from the barrel, but also you run the risk of really pulling out some really harsh tannic things or it's astringent things out of it, especially at that high of a proof. Yeah, and we aged it for uh, well because we couldn't actually bottle it or sell it. <laughs> the first batch was actually in there for uh, over over almost a year, hmm. and uh, but the, the the currently now the starkers I make is between six and ten months is about the aging time in French oak. You know, you you, you mentioned the uh, the guidelines in America about not being able to put vodka in a barrel and still calling it vodka, and and it made me question. Um, are, are the guidelines, are the spirit guidelines that we have a hindrance, or is it is it appropriate to kind of hang on to those traditions so people know what they're getting when they say, this is a vodka, uh, you know, it's not going to have anything weird or funky in it, it's just a vodka, and that's, and that's what I like. Are you, are, are you still able to experiment? Um, I guess what I'm saying is, do you wish that you can call it a vodka, uh, but still be able to experiment with the flavors that you can put inside that spirit? Careful what your answer is, oh, Lee. You're about to choose sides between Jason and the world <laughs> right now. <laughs> it's a leading question, and, uh, you know. Well, I'll just, I'll just jump head first then. But, Do it. Uh, Do it. I, no, I'm, I'm actually all for as much clarity and reg, you know, regulation for the sake of clarity mm-hmm. that uh, we can for the consumer. I'm, I'm all for that. And that's one reason why we wanted to fight to be able to call it vodka. Uh, because first of all, as a as a producer, you know the I wasn't uh, I wasn't I wasn't really going to let the, uh, the the TTB tell me what to call it because they're not they're not marketers <laughs> and so I didn't God knows what they would make me actually call it right. and where would then where would it end up on the shelf and so it was very important to me as a producer to be able to put it up on the shelf with all the other vodkas out there and that way you know the the public would also realize that this is a vodka product and they wouldn't have to stretch their mind too far you know regardless of the fact that it has color to it as a barrel at least they know it was a, a vodka product uh, hmm. but uh, but no i'm uh, i'm all for uh you know clarity and if it you know and, and having the ttb you know regulate different types of spirits i just think unfortunately is that with the, the explosion of craft distillation, uh, they're being bombarded by a lot of experimentation going out there. I mean, y- unique things happening. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, you know, pushing the, the regulations to, uh, to, to the limit. <laughs> I think they're going to have to probably readapt uh, things like barrel-aged gin is another good example. I mean, yes. uh, essentially, according to the TTB, that doesn't exist. <laughs> right. 
I, I've heard that somewhere back of the TPB is that they're 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 now regulating that and going to make that a category. But uh, you know, uh, before that, uh, that that doesn't that doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, for people have to call it barrel rested. <laughs> yeah, that's way different. Schrodinger's yeah. gene, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you, so, do you see the TTB trying to adapt with the times and just creating new, uh, I guess, registered styles, or do you think at some point they're just like, okay, fine, you guys do whatever and call whatever you want? I think they're trying to adapt, but slowly. Hmm. Um, I just think that with the innovation that's happening in the craft sector. I think it's pushing them. They're going to have to, you know, uh, adapt to this. Because, you know, before, you know, uh, the, you know, the craft distilling revolution has only been around probably for less than 20 years or so, and really in force. Uh, you know, they, they didn't have to deal with things like this. You know, you had, you know, <laughs> there, there was just maybe, you know, one or two styles of gin. There was, uh, you know, you had bourbon, rye whiskey, scotch, Canadian. I mean, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't have all this variety out there. It was a much simpler world, uh, you know, to for our, our parents and grandparents. But, um, yeah, we're turning things kind of upside down. But, no, I think, I think they're going to adapt. Uh, and and you know, get, it's all going to be inclusive, hopefully, at some point. For the record, I, 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 the, the innovation is not going to stop. <laughs> right, well, right, right. And, and, and for the record, I, I think that that's great. Um, and, and I would be fine with the uh, Starka being called a vodka as long as it, it's th- like a subcategory, kind of like we have in beer. But I think beer is kind of way out in left field. And I think spirits, for some reason, it's okay in spirits. And I don't know why. It's okay to be very organized have rules <laughs> well well it, yeah. the, the the experimentation is 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 cool obviously i'm not sure. saying it. it's not um but i think like if you take a vodka and you age it in a barrel that's obviously a, a different thing and i'm okay with it still being called a vodka but if you take a pale ale and make it cloudy it's not a it's not a pale ale anymore mm-hmm. or an, same thing with an ip or whatever to me that that just is is incorrect and maybe they're two sides of the same coin and i'm just picking you know, heads over tails. Oh, wow, look at that! Nice. But uh, I don't know. I just it, it's it's a it's a topic of of the, that's that's pretty relevant, especially on this uh, network and uh, on this show and between Warren and myself. So yeah. I'd, I'd like to know what other people's takes on it are because some people are steeped in tradition and and tradition is how we got here in the first place. But uh, mm-hmm. you know, having this conversation, seeing your portfolio, and tasting this this whiskey, um, you know, it, it, it's okay to break from tradition. I th- I think it's I think it's fine as long mm-hmm. as as long as it's not oh this is a you know this is a vodka straight up and then it's barrel agent has like blueberries in it well <laughs> it is but it's not right? right it's a it's a base I don't mm-hmm. know um drinking this whiskey coming back to it it's opened up and I've been trying to place the that kind of cereal grainy flavor um and it kind of mm-hmm. tastes like toasted rice like rice puffs or like golden what was that golden sm- golden smacks or honey smacks honey or smacks. something like that? Where it's that that, uh-huh. that puffy paste that that puffy rice cereal, a little bit of sweetness, you know, mm. from the from the malt and the and and the and the wood, uh, uh, all that kind of stuff. And it's really good and very unique. And, and when I first tasted it, I'm like, okay, this is this is different, and I can get I can get with it. And um, but the more it opens up, and the more it kind of sits in my glass, and the more I I taste it, it's it's becoming separate from most other whiskeys that I've had, not in a bad way, in a good way. Well, good. No, yeah. that's, that's exactly what I want to hear. I mean, uh, 
if I was making something wow. that uh, you could uh, point to and say, oh, that's just like this other whiskey I had. I don't want to hear that. That's not going <laughs> to help me any. Right, you know, right. You're, you're probably going to go off and buy the other whiskey. It's less expensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I would never do that to you, Lee. <laughs> to me, I More almost... like Brothers. <laughs> like. Yeah. Uh, I almost think that kind of the, the ratio of... Uh, caramel fruity flavors to kind of the the more tannin uh, bitter wood flavors is mm-hmm. kind of changing as it's yes. setting here. Yeah. What do you and think is true? Tell I me think what's it's coming up. Sh- shifting more to the fruity caramel yes. side. Yeah. Whereas when it was fresh in our glass, it was more very much more balanced. Not that well to me, I almost say it's more balanced now. And and before it was very uh, oak and tannin heavy relative to the caramel. Uh, yeah, from what I'm tasting, the body is coming through. Like all those flavors that you're talking about, the kind of you know darker fruities, um, like the dried fruit, is coming through for me in a in a kind of a body mouthfeel, mm-hmm. which I, I, I find I find crazy. I think Lee's doing weird stuff up there because if <laughs> if if the fruity esters hide and then come back and then the body hide and all this kind of stuff, I, you know, I don't even know if uh, I think this is a whiskey from the future. Yeah, and then he brings it back in time. <laughs> this time delay whiskey. You're drinking the future right now. <laughs> <laughs> true. Is this whiskey still aging? In yeah, the barrel right it's now? actually negative aged. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a whole Benjamin Buttons thing. Like mm. he makes it and it's a hundred years old, and then when he releases it, it's five years. Lee, yeah. well, hey, man, I, I appreciate the time uh, that you've given to us. I'm going to let you go. We've had you on for almost an hour here, and I apologize wow. for oh. for soaking up your evening. Um, but everybody, go to bullrundistillery.com whenever you're in Portland, uh, which should be often, quite frankly, because yeah. <clears throat> here's my excuse me. Here's what I tell everyone um, about their visit to Portland: don't go to any craft breweries. There's, there's no need. Craft beer is everywhere. If you want IPA, it all tastes the same. If you want a beer, it all ta- it all tastes the same. You drink drink Rainier, which is my I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. And then go to distilleries, go to cocktail bars because the the craft spirits industry is what craft beer was ten years ago or fifteen years ago, maybe even I don't know. Um, there's 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 a lot more diversity, which sounds weird because spirits before doing the show it always kind of to me meant you're kind of locked in these in this profile of mm. flavors and that's kind of it is what it is i didn't know i didn't know anything about it uh, we did a rum show recently with martin kate mm. from uh, holly pele and uh, smuggler's oh, yeah. cove and all yeah. that and uh, and i told that guy i was like look I think rum personally looks like it's like colored vodka. It has no flavor. I don't know anything about it. And I think he almost, if he could cut me through the internet, I think he would have done it. Um, but <laughs> and he, he was also right. And so. he was evil, right. Yeah. Um, and then he came on the show and brought a, a six rums and it blew, it literally blew my mind. Like I had to pick it up off the floor. It was mm-hmm. crazy. Um, and I, and I think that anyway, I think craft spirits is where craft beer was. So if you're going to Portland, don't worry. Don't go on a beer cation. Go on a whiskey cation. Go on a, a craft spirits cation because there's a ton up there, and uh, it's all great. Yeah. I haven't had a single a single dog of of the ones we've had. Portland, oh, yeah. uh, Pacific Northwest in general is doing really good stuff. And and uh, Lee, you're doing you're doing amazing stuff, man. Just if if this one bottle is any indication, um, next time I, I go back, we gotta we gotta hit it up. Do you guys have a, a tasting room that's open well, to the public? Well, we invited you. I uh, show up in Portland. Come on by. Well, I'll take you in the back, and we'll sample some barrels. 
Hell yeah, yeah. I'll never leave. Yeah, so you, you could taste all the barrels I already <laughs> tasted last time I was there. <laughs> I don't like sloppy seconds, Warren. Oh, well, so I can't, now I can't go. Leave. Right, Ooh, yeah. Warren already been there. He'll have to open up a new distillery. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Warren's asking if you had a, 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 a tasting room and all that. Open to the public. Uh, yes, yes, oh, we good. do. We are okay. open to the public, and it's the tasting room is the front part of the distillery, first thing you walk into. Nice. And if you get a chance, come in there and sample all the all our wares and all the things, all the little experiments and things that we do as well. So, absolutely. oh, great! That sounds cool. Well, I'll definitely uh, let you know when I get in town, and uh, we'll party. All right, sounds good to me. All right, Lee. Thanks I'll a make lot. You start yeah. the cocktail. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. And I want to try your Aqua V. I love Aqua V, and we didn't even get into that. So, it's a uh, it's a whole it's a whole thing. Everyone, Bull Run uh, Distilling, Lee Medoff. I appreciate your time, and uh, we'll we'll chat. Absolutely. Soon. Thank you very much. Great. Right. Great. Right. Great talking with you. Yeah, Enjoy you too. Your evening as well. Oh, yeah. thanks, man. Right. Bye bye. Bye. That was cool. Yeah. Some of the stuff he's doing with uh, barrel finishes on yes. this whiskey. Oh man, they're it's, it's delicious, and you know we had some Portland uh, some Portland oak on the on the Rogue show. Oh, that's Rogue right. Distilling too, and so I'm interested to see this kind of grain portfolio, this grain profile, yeah, come through with with some of those uh, oak aspects. I think it'd be great. Yeah, it de- the Oregon oak that I got to try actually at uh, Bull Run definitely reminded me a lot more of a French oak style wood flavor than uh, ah. uh, American style. Uh, you want to do a little bit of news? We've never done spirits what? news before. We do, got a, we got a, a do couple. Do things happen? Minutes. Things happen, huh? And it's uh, okay. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. This is from the UK Sun. <clears throat> um, this is the headline: Drinking gin makes you sexier. Hmm. Oh, so that's what's been happening to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Bev's in the uh, Bev's in this in the thing going. Yeah, yeah, that's true. She's drinking. She's chugging a bottle of gin right now. So it's, it's fine <laughs> by the handle. <laughs> yeah. Um, they say some forty-two percent of respondents say they felt sexier and more in the mood. Oh, wait a second. It's all when, about them feeling sexier. When sipping on spirits as opposed to beer or wine. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's what I thought, too. I thought it was a very misleading headline. Um, <laughs> on the internet? Weird. But, well, so 42% said they felt sexier from spirits. A quarter of the people said red wine makes them feel frisky. Mm-hmm. And 42% said the same for white wine. But just 19% said beer was likely to get them in the mood. So if you want <laughs> right. if you want to get it on, mm-hmm. it's spirits. It's not it's not beer. It's certainly not wine. Gin in particular, it sounds Apparently like. Apparently gin in particular. Uh, but right. on the downside, spirits also make people feel aggressive, restless, or even tearful. What? Uh, those aren't all uh, symbiotic <laughs> emotions. <laughs> no, but I've felt all of them in the past five minutes. <laughs> Uh, excerpts from the uh, Public Health Wales and King's College London quizzed 29,000 people in 21 countries on the emotions they feel after drinking different types of alcohol, which I always I think that's just BS. It's the same. It's alcohol. It's, it's, it, tequila is the same as whiskey. It's fine. Yeah. I think if, if we can learn anything from this, it's that London people be cray. <laughs> That's pretty much true. They found that women are, mo- are more likely than men to have drinks that make them feel sexy. No. <laughs> the purple nurple was invented uh, for men to feel good about yeah. themselves? No, I don't. And a better dancer. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, 
Anyway, I thought that was a that's a funny story. <laughs> hey, liquid um, courage. You've heard of Get the uh, American rye whiskey brand called Whistle Pig? Yes, I have. Yeah. Apparently, you can buy full barrels now. A, a private consumer can buy a whole barrel? Yeah. Uh, whiskey customization program, the initiative, allows consumers to create their own personalized whiskey using the brand's 10- and 12-year-old rye expressions. Wow. Which I always think that's a weird thing. It's, it's just, I mean, what, but what else can you say? It's... Spirit? Batches. Yeah. Batches sounds like, uh, I made another batch of oatmeal. You want to try some oatmeal? (laughs) With your own lot number. That's real sexy. There are two options for the reserve barrel program, which gives consumers the chance to choose their own barrel of whistle pig rye whiskey. Pricing, how much would you pay for a 10-year-old expression, air quote, (sighs) of uh, a 10-year-old barrel of whistle pig rye? The whole barrel or a, a bottle? The whole or barrel. It'll, so it'll produce 132 bottles of cask strength now. Whoa. Cask strength, which is, which is what proof? Well, like, I mean, what's the difference between a, cask and... Like, usually you're talking like 115 ballpark, like okay. above, above 100 like okay. in the teens. And normally shelf strength is like 40%. 80 to 90%. Oh, 80 to 90 proof. Proof, okay. Yeah. Okay, so it's almost double. Not double. It's almost about 10% more. It's almost 10% more. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay, so how much would you pay? Um, for 132 bottles. Cask strength. Cask strength. If I had the money, four grand. Really? <laughs> I'm just guessing. Is that how much they charge for this experience? $11,000. Well... I would get uh, less than half a barrel. <laughs> uh, for the 12-year uh, blend, you can create your own blend of European cask finished whiskeys. Is, so, is, twi- is that aged twice as long? Uh, yes, it's okay. aged almost twice as long. Um, either a port, a sautern, or Madeira cask finish. Mm. And that is priced. How much do you think? Well, for the last one's 11. Yes. I think we're, we're gosh, pushing 18 now. 16. Oh, 16 grand. With the finishing included. Both programs include custom labels for the final bottlings, and consumers can have the opportunity to interact with Whistlepig chief blender, Pete Lynch, if they choose to pick their barrel at the Whistlepig farm in Vermont. Crazy. I guess that's not crazy price if you think you're getting 130 yeah, bottles. I, I mean, it's still below $200 a bottle for your own blend of 12 year. Right, exactly. And I don't expect anybody in particular, like an end user like us, to go Mm -hmm. in on it. That's a a bar or um, a restaurant or something like Mm -hmm. that. That's not not us. Or what you're getting your friends for Christmas? I don't have 132 friends. Well, you have how many months? Uh, <laughs> Start <four> months. glad-handing, <laughs> man. Let's go around. Yeah. The park's right there. There's a concert. <laughs> right. Let's go. Hey, yeah. best friend. <laughs> Sorry, do I know you? Nope. Yep, but you could. do know. Yeah. Um, and then last but not least, there's uh, always a, 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 a company out there looking for funding. And there's a, yes. a myriad websites that will yeah. tell you how to do that yeah. and connect you with, uh, with people. But apparently, Did I tell you about the companies I'm starting? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. How many would you like to know about? Well, give me, just give me the URL. It's fine. <laughs> URL. Dot com. Dot com. <laughs> <laughs> Beat me to it. Yeah. Uh, here, hold my L. Um, there's a company called YOLO Rum that is on something called WeFunder, and they're asking for you to buy in a uh, $100 minimum investment. 
100, okay. So they say, we make rum that is distilled by a legendary rum maker, blah, blah, blah. The former <laughs> Cuban minister of rum for Fidel Castro for 40 years. Oh. Okay. Uh, while still in what we consider our proof of concept phase, we've won 21 international rum awards and are sold in 200 Florida and Colorado locations. First of all, okay. the, the, can you get can you find two states that are more polar opposite mm. than Florida and Colorado? Well, I guess <laughs> you're proving like, your concept. Yeah, I guess. Uh, now with two distribution deals, we're ready to launch an aggressive marketing and product push to become a major player in the Virginia rum market. So, what they want is a hundred dollar minimum. Um, they're they've raised three hundred fifty grand so far, but their target is a million dollars. And don't they have to say specifically what it's Four, like you get a it, basically it's a piece of stock. It it sounds like a beautiful customized uh, stock certificate featuring a two inch diameter three D holographic seal, custom watermark, custom <laughs> watermark. Ooh. I don't give a heck. I don't. I don't give a heck fire oh, if man. it's if it's you stole someone's watermark or I, it's a custom. You haven't seen this watermark. Matching serial numbers on the seal and certificate. Ooh. Can you imagine if you got a, a stock certificate from a company and the serial numbers didn't match? It's kind of janky. I returned. To, I returned a watch in a in a in a contain a holder uh-huh. because the serial numbers didn't match. I'm like, whatever. You didn't even um, know if the watch was the same. Yeah, well, I wanted different. the number to be the no. It's it was the same. It's a it's a toy. It's a thing. Oh, okay. It's a t- stupid. Um, I was collector. Yeah, yeah. And then I look on eBay. Like, so it was a Toy Story watch from the first movie. Mm. And uh, it was a fossil watch, and then I, I found it when I was moving last year, and uh, I look it up again, and it's like maybe a dollar more than what I paid for. How many like, years ago? Cool. And something that I go to watch. Uh, anyway, I, I thought that was interesting because if you, you're you being sold in 200 locations, you have two major still, uh, uh, distribution um, contracts. Yeah. Why do you need my hundred dollars, homie? Like you should be able to do this, you know, on your own. If if you can't, I, I don't know. They yeah. they they want to just hit the market with a bigger splash than they've already made. But so nothing says security like skipping the SEC and going to an actual stock exchange <laughs> and going to a we fund what we f- we find your money. I think is we, what it's oh. called. Yeah, we're in your wallet. dot com. Oh, okay. What it is. Yeah. Yeah, going right there and then buying some hologram piece of paper for $100. That's legit. <laughs> it was weird, man. I don't know. I thought it was a good story. <laughs> All and right, a good is, investment opportunity. Right, for sure. For $100. <laughs> uh, tell you what. Give me $100. Okay. You can email me, jp at com. Give me $100, and then I will do more shows for you. And you're investing in your knowledge. And we will send you a hand-drawn stock certificate <laughs> yeah that means nothing. the show heads and tails yeah that literally uh means nothing yes all right lee met off from bull run distilling in portland oregon joined us he was our guest he sent us some whiskey and it was delicious so i'd highly recommend you go on their website find out where to buy their whiskey and if you're ever in portland or the surrounding area go there yes very much and and like us on all the facebooks and the instagrams and the itunes and things that's true. And if you have any feedback on the show, that goes to feedback at thebrewingnetwork.com. If you have a distillery that you want to hear on the show, you can email jsp at thebrewingnetwork.com or feedback or whatever. Who knows? Who, yeah. who cares what you do? Or Beardy or, or Justin at thebrewingnetwork.com. No, don't email Justin at thebrewingnetwork.com because you'll never hear back. Yeah. Um, all right, everybody. This has been Heads and Tails. This has been the month of July. We're almost into August. Right. And uh, we'll be coming at you in a couple weeks with another show. So yeah. until then... Take care of each other.